Hello, you're listening to Shorthand, a guide to making a short film, a BFI Network and Film Hub Southeast podcast. Whether you're actively making a short film or passively thinking about it, this is a podcast designed to help you on the journey from coming up with a compelling short film idea to editing it into a finished product. Applications for the BFI Network Short Film Fund are now open, so there's no better time to dive into our archive of previous episodes on all aspects of the short filmmaking process. In this episode, we're focusing our lens on cinematography. You'll hear from three cinematographers and a director about how they prepare, shoot, and make room for the magic to happen. Once you read a script, I think immediately you know if it's for you or not. It's sort of the way it's written, the subject matter, the profile of the director, what I've done before, what they're looking to do in the future. I think you're just trying to get a whole bigger picture of who the director is, where does the script come from? What does the director want to do with the script? Where is it going? Will it lead to any more future collaboration, future work? Is this a director I want to get involved in? And yeah, I love the director's work. So it's all of that. And then reading the script, you know, having done literature back at school a long time ago, it's, it's the language that's being used, the vibe that, you know, sort of reflects on the pages, how you visualize the script, as in when reading the script and you're visualizing the story, is this an environment that I love to light, that I love to shoot, where I have something to add? You know, is it fair? I've declined projects in the past because I'm like, I'm not the right person for this. Uh, you know, you should go with a DUP that's you know, lost these type of environments or lost these types of stories. And I think it's it's both ways. It's to know when a script is for you and when a script isn't for you. That's Evelyn Van Ray, a Dutch cinematographer based in London, who has picked up nominations for the BSC's Short Film Cinematography Award in 2018 and 2019 for her work on the short films Changeling and Innocence. And she is also up for the Cinematography Award at this year's Underwire Film Festival for the short film Limbo. Here, she talks about meeting a director and figuring out whether you can work and collaborate together, how she prepares for a project, and marrying imagination with reality. Uh, I think for short films, when you meet a director or get invited to meet a director, it's a lot more informal than on feature films or TV series. Um, you often just, you know, grab a coffee or you go to a gallery or, you know, there's, it's quite informal. And a lot of things, a lot of meetings I've had in the past for short films have often come from... They're approaching me through Instagram. They've seen another short of mine, you know, approach me for that. So I guess there's already an understanding of who I am as a DOP. And that's why they want to meet me as a potential collaborator. So when you meet up, you also, you go through the script, you sort of chat about, you know, each other's inspirations. Generally in life, it doesn't always have to do with that particular script. It's more like a meeting to get to know each other, to sort of feel how you would collaborate, whether you're on the same wavelengths as human beings. It's a people's industry, people's business. So it's more about how you get on and how you collaborate than potentially, you know, a particular project, because there hopefully will be many more. Um, so once the director and myself have established, you know, we're on the right person for the project and we work together on this short film, we go through a pre-production stage, which already was a little bit established in our meeting obviously in the sense of me bringing visual references to the meeting, sort of visualizing the script, making sure that the director and myself are on the right page. 
I guess pre-production is quite a broad word. It depends on the job. I've had jobs where there's pre-production of a couple of days to if you're lucky, you know, a few weeks. Those weeks would entail, often starts with a recce. So you've already read the script, you've met with the director, you've established you're going to do this together. You sort of establish, you know, the kind of images you like, how you want to approach it. So you go into a recce to look at the locations where you're going to shoot the script. You had an idea in mind, often already with some shot lists that you and the director have made, potentially some storyboards. More often not, I think it's sort of for a short film, it's generally just a shot list and visual references, like a mood board you make. And then you take us to the location. If you're lucky, you will have your gaffer there or some other departments with who you can discuss what needs to happen. And then often this is the stage, I guess, where originally you have this great idea about this is what it's going to look like. And this is what we need. And then obviously reality hits in, you know, budget constraints sometimes, COVID obviously of recent. And you work with what you imagine to what is really out there in location. Um, so you would go through the script, you go through the shot list, what needs to be adapted. So I guess it's mostly problem solving. It's about how you can realize the script from the actual locations you're shooting in. And after location recce's, you would sit down again, often with a production designer. I think the relationship between a production designer and director of photography is quite important. Everything needs to be sort of in sync, making sure you're on the same page. And you prepare yourself for the shoots. Next up, Evelyn discusses making kit choices and lists and getting to grips with new pieces of equipment or technology. So our kit choice for the shoots depends on the budget for most. Um, It's sort of always good to know what the budget is because then you can set the expectation, the concept to that. Often it'll be with companies with whom the production company has a relationship with. So sometimes producers or PMs have a preference of a company and sometimes they ask the DOP if we have any preferences. And then from there, you would compromise a kit list with your gaffer after the location recce, uh, as well as with camera. So it depends whether it's your folks puller or yourself who will make a kit list, depends on the type of job. Generally, I tend to start the camera kit list off and then folks pullers and grips are CC'd in. You have the chats, you have the reccees, and then it becomes your final list and they take over. Uh, lighting is different. So for me, lighting wise, it would be discussions during the recce with the gaffer beforehand as well about the visual language, reference images. Kit-wise, I may have preferences of types of lights I like to use or have used before or new things I want to try. The gaffer may have experience in the sense, oh, this slide I discovered, you know, my last job, should we use this one? Or you sort of, it's a dialogue in terms of what type of kit you'd like to use. Obviously constrained by location, by budget, by what's available out there. And then you would just go back and forth a few times with production. Sometimes you speak to the rental company directly if you know them and sort of, you know, answering any questions they may have, any changes you like to make. Camera-wise, the same. Camera is a lot more standard, I think. You know, generally, even already before recce's producers asked me to send them a, you know, like a kit list. So it's a very similar kit list. So if you're shooting on the Alexa Mini or shooting on a Sony or it comes with standard bits. And I think as DOP, you develop the way you like to shoot. You develop, you know, particular tools you like to use, what lenses, what filters, what camera preference. So you often send that off before the recce or before you actually finalize things. So producers can budget things a bit better. 
using a new piece of tool can be quite daunting. I remember back at university when my teacher at the time, Fantasi DOP now, who taught part-time, he said as well, don't worry if you don't know a piece of camera, if you don't know a piece of kid, you will learn that on the job. Take the job and figure out later how to use it, what to do. And that is sort of true, which still now goes for feature film or TV series or commercials. You have people around you that have that knowledge, people around you that, you know, specialize in sort of piece of kit. If you're lucky, there will be time to prep where you can go into your rental house when your camera assistants are prepping the kit, testing the kit, or maybe you can, you know, half a day, you can play around with something, ideally do some testing. So whether it's either for makeup, whether it's lens choice, whether it's sort of, you know, certain type of effects you're looking to create into camera, if you're lucky, you will have time. If there's budget and time, you'll be able to sort of, you know, try a few new pieces. But I think a lot of things will happen on set and just doing your research, you know, speaking to other cinematographers who have used that piece of kit or other camera assistants, people there that support you to sort of, you know, pick their brains about what about this? What about this? You know, what resolution should I shoot on if I need to deliver in this and this format? So you have people, technicians around you with that knowledge who have been in the industry for much longer than you have. But yes, it can be quite daunting to use a new piece of kit, but you just got to roll with the punches. Finally, Evelyn talks about what she does in the days leading up to a new job to get ready, physically and mentally, what she looks for in a director and her advice for up-and-coming cinematographers. So preparing for the first day on a new job, will be different for everyone and it'll be different for each and every job some jobs I've had a few days notice so you just throw everything that you were doing throw it all away and just start on that new job and just jump in the deep and make it work sometimes you have a lot more heads up so you just make sure that okay you know any admin or Things you need to arrange in your private or home life, you just sort of make sure that you do that. You plan ahead. For example, a lot of jobs I've done recently were I was either stationed like up north in a different city for a couple of months or in Ireland for a few months. So you have to sort of arrange a few things in the sense of admin or who's taking care of all your plants or maybe for other people children or pets or so sort of the practicality of things gearing up for a new job it's you know clearing out your laptop or your devices you know uploading the scripts making sure all your notes are on there it's a lot of admin type of things and mental preparation for new jobs as well for everyone is different. For me, it will be a lot of, also throughout shooting, but a lot of yoga, making sure you eat properly, you eat well. Um, some jobs, if it's again, long form compared to short form, but I'll bring my own food. You know, I cook my own dinners that I take with me as lunch. It's whatever you need as a person and then as DOP that gets you through the job. The working relationship between the director and yourself varies for each and every job. I guess the ideal is that you're both on the same page to start with. You want to make the same film, you have the same vision and you have the same way of working. Like I've worked with many directors and there's so many different types of directors. And I guess as you go through your career, through more jobs, you come to understand, you know, what type of director you work with very well, you know, what type of director you want to 
build your career around. I think the most important thing is that your friends, that your allies, when things get very stressful on set and there's a lot of problems to solve, time is limited, a lot of setbacks. I think if you have a relationship where you can count on each other and support each other through whatever happens, I think it's really important to have each other's back. I love to work with directors that have quite a strong vision, that know what they want and are very sort of direct and honest in communicating this. Um, Maybe it's because I'm Dutch and European, so I have a certain way of just anything and everything can be spoken about. Like nothing is taboo and nothing is a weird question. I love the collaborative process with directors where not thinking about the end result or the final product, but you're just going through the process. You're sort of digging deeper into the script. You're digging deeper into, you know, the psyche of these characters. And, and sort of that, what you've done in pre-production forms the basis for your relationship with the director on set. You create a shorthand with them. You know, you've been through shot lists, you've been through storyboarding maybe for some, you know, stunt sequences or special effects sequences. Everything is sort of there. So on set, it's generally about creating a shorthand, communicating effectively and clearly and having a laugh. I think it's really important to be able to crack a joke on set and just to sort of, you know, enjoy it. The main piece of advice I would give to cinematographers out there that are starting in short form and would love to pursue a career in cinematography is to just be yourself, focus on your own path and what you are doing. Forget about what everybody else is doing on social media, what everybody else is doing. Just focusing on yourself, your path. Everybody's different. Everybody gets into the industry in a different way. You know, success doesn't happen overnight. With short films, once it's boarded, the first thing I like to do is um, have a conversation with the with the director, just to really dig into um, kind of like the details as to what the intentions or what the core themes of the project is. Because when I read a script, all I'm given in most cases is just a black and white text. Sometimes you do get um, some kind of treatment, a, vis- a visual treatment that alludes to what the directors are is after in terms of like the the tone the themes and the visuals um but yeah most times it would be um just black and white text and what i like to do is reach out to the director have a conversation ideally a face-to-face conversation because oftentimes with short films the first time you're meeting you're hearing of the director sometimes it's just when the script comes in so it's very important to yeah just make sure you're both on the same page in terms of just energies and like temperament that's Olang Koladi, a Nigerian-born, UK-based cinematographer and 2021 Screen Daily Star of Tomorrow, who works across narrative, commercials and music videos. He has also lends short films such as Abraham Adeyemi's No More Wings, which won Best Narrative Short at Tribeca in 2020, and Nadia Latif's, who featured in episode 5 on casting, They Heard Him Shout Alo Akbar, part of Film 4's Foresight series. Here, he's deep diving more into the prep that goes into a short film, and establishing a visual palette and language with the director, how he puts forward his own ideas and references, and the questions he might ask to interrogate how the director wants their film to look. From a cinematographer's perspective, you want to make sure that the way you visualise the film ahead of the conversation is apparent. So one thing I like to do is I like to put together some reference images 
Sometimes it's um, a bunch of photographs just to, I guess, get across how I think the images of the film should convey, I guess, the, the underlying themes of the of the film. And that's just so that it's important that we both sing it from the same hymn sheet. And if for any reason there is a discrepancy between how I see the film and how they feel um, see the film, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just realigning yourself, um, just to ensure that you're both you're both making the same film. It's just understanding the nuances in which the director wants to tell the story. So sometimes it's like, um, I want the camera to be dynamic. Sometimes what, the, what does that mean? Does it mean you want it to be handheld just to feel um, that the camera is a bit more uh, more subjective, that the camera, the audience, you want to put the audience in the same room with the, with the characters. I know sometimes dynamic just means maybe I want the camera to move, but I want it to be smooth. I want the camera to feel uh, more objective, but I still want you know the camera to motivate I want the movement sometimes to be um, unmotivated by things sometimes. So when people use words like, you know, dynamic, it's good to kind of really dial into what they mean by that. So, yeah, you really want to dig into what people mean by the words they use. You know, sometimes people say, I want this film to feel warm. Now, what does warm mean? Does it mean we use warm light? Or does it mean we crank up the color temperature of the camera to make it feel warm? Or is it something we want to do with a wardrobe? introduce the warmth in the wardrobe, introduce the warmth in the kind of locations we have. That's why I like to tease out really quickly when I jump on board a project, just because my, my approach to filmmaking is very holistic. I like um, world building, and I like, I like um, character building, I like character driven stories. So I want to know, you know, what the locations say about characters. What does the wardrobe say about our characters? What does the dijectic or the non-dijectic music say about the characters? Because me knowing these go, helps me do my job better. In the next segment, Olan talks about what goes into his cinematography treatment, the importance of the relationship between the DP, the director and the production designer, and then how he likes that relationship to function when you migrate to set. I like I mentioned, I like to put together something I call a cinematography treatment, which is a PDF that consists of, um, yeah, like I said, photographs, images from other films, and, you know, sometimes contain notes of um, kind of my mind map of my response to the film. Okay, what's the theme of this film? Okay, the theme is, um, I don't know, um, repentance. Um, and then I draw some uh, mind maps from what that blood repentance means. Like, does it pertain to this character? And in terms of like this character, what other themes or sub themes is that character, you know, I'm thinking about. So being able to present those ideas to the director, then we can pretty much focus on each node and work out how does our camera movement, how does, you know, the blocking, how does our lenses help um, push those things? Um, so yeah, alongside with um, images, I also sometimes put kind of location references that I have in mind that I think will help elevate the story. Um, and these are really useful because when you're able to show the director that, you are, I suppose, in your way, shape or form, you know, being an influencer because that's what you are as an HOD. Um, before we go on recce's, now that we are looking at, you know, the same kind of location references is something that could be passed on to the locations um, person just to ensure that, you know, we're looking for the right kind of locations that, you know, help us tell 
tell the story. So um, yeah, those are the kind of things I like to have, you know, tangibles that, you know, I can share with the director. Sometimes, you know, if the production designer is on board at that point, that's something I can share with him as well, just to make sure that Holy Trinity is further aligned and it's not a case of pitching this idea to the director and the director is in some other conversations with the art director. Yeah, you want to make sure that, um, yeah, all three are, are, are all in sync. When it comes to being on on set on a film, you know, I I have a, a music background, not in the sense of, you know, me being a musician. Well, kind of, I played a lot of um, kind of like jazz music in my late, kind of mid-late teens. And the way I play music is I play of like earring. You know, I'm quite rusty at reading music. Now I say that to, to, to mean I love improvisation, but I feel, that you have to have a base tone and I think what your prep document and what your conversations with the director does is it gives you a base tone and you know with jazz you know someone's got to you know be maintaining the rhythm and you know each person can then play like a riff like I play like a solo and I think when you get on set the prep you have enables you to have a base tone that everyone is working towards. But when you get on set, you know, things happen. Sometimes, you know, you are massively behind and you've got, you know, 10 minutes to shoot five shots. Then you have to sit down and go, actually, um, how can we combine these five shots so that we can tell the story in two shots? So I think for me, it's imperative to be flexible when it comes to being on set. I think for me, that's the joy of filmmaking. It's quite boring if, you know, we're just painting by numbers after, you know, prepping. We want to leave room for some on-set magic. Erlen then talks about establishing trust with the actors and being able to instill confidence in them. One of my first collaborations were with um, actors, actors who have then maybe gone on to become directors, like uh, my really good friend, Thea Gayet, who is an actor and was hoping to build a reel, um, an actor's reel. And, you know, we we uh, met and we shot lots of monologues together. And, you know, now she's grown into a wonderful director. And I think for me, um, that really helps me understand and get into the minds of what it feels like to be to be an actor. And that's one of the reasons why, the reasons why I love operating the camera, because of the proximity you have to the actors on set. You know, you are one of the first people that they look at after the take has, you know, finished. And there's that look that they give you like, did I get it? Was that was that good? And, you know, there's that that bond I tend to have with like actors on, on set. And so it's so magical. So I think for me, you also, as a DP who perhaps, you know, operates or someone who operates his camera, I think, one of your, you know, duties or responsibilities as, um, you know, as operator or DP is to be able to instill some kind of confidence in your actors just to make sure that they are in good hands. Your subject has to have a sense of comfort that you are doing them justice, whether that's in the way you represent them. Um, or the way you shoot them or the way you light them or the ambience and the aura around you as a cinematographer or as or an operator who's, you know, right next to the, to the actor. So it's important and just in terms of even how, how much you say or talk about because, you know, they are trying to get into the character and, you know, that's not the time to be making some chat about, oh, how's your breakfast just before that to take? You know, these relationships are something I take very seriously, again, just because I like to put my actors in the best light. And, you know, that's not a point. I just mean I'd like 
to you know always represent them how they feel comfortable to be represented both you know as humans and also as characters within the story and then more just on a relationship level you're about to hear Olan break down a sequence that he's particularly proud of shooting and why and then give his advice on making sure you stay on schedule while also leaving room for artistry and spontaneity as well as why aspiring cinematographers should always be shooting there was a film I shot, I believe it was 2020 or 2019. Um, I'll just say 2020. It's called Joy and, you know, it tells a tale of a um, of a mother who has this wonderful relationship with her very young son and kind of we see how the relationship between them got strange is because, you know, he fell into um, bad circles and, you know, bad situations and, uh, yeah, not to give a spoiler. But there was a sequence where he was coming home with his mum and they were going home and they were going through, like, a stairwell to their apartment. And the whole point of that sequence was just to show um, how he has started to make these links and bonds with some of the not so nice kids on the estate and for me what was important was not to hero the other kids because it was more a story about the mom and that how that mom felt so what you would have thought you know in, in shooting a stairwell or a scene is make sure you know all the characters are lit we can see the mom's face we can see the boy's face we can see all these uh menacing, menacing characters we can see their space faces and see what their responses are well, my instinct was to play that scene in silhouette. So just focusing on how it must feel being that mom walking through that staircase with your teenage son amongst this group of like four or five, you know, um, threatening characters and, you know, figures. So, yeah, well, something I was quite proud of and I'm happy that, you know, um, the director bought into that just because, yeah, you don't see those those are the kids. They're kind of like faceless characters and then just brings you really into the story as to what it must have felt for that mother going in that stairwell, you know, seeing these figures who she doesn't know, their backstory, and, you know, that, you know, um, feeling of, of unease um, she would have had. And, you know, that combined with the score that we had in that scene, I think, yeah, it just really brings joy to me because I remember on the day, you know, the AD was like, cool, so we're about to shoot this. Are we fully lit? Um, are you good to go? I'm like, yeah, there's no lighting. Let's shoot. Yeah, I was really, really happy with how that, how that panned out. So in terms of being able to set yourself up for success, it's important that you prep. I mean, we'll talk about prep because sometimes when you go, we've got five days, it seems like a lot. But, you know, things would always take the time you allocate them. If you say to yourself, I'm going to write a script in a year, it will take you a year to write that script. If you tell yourself, I'm going to write a script in seven days, you would write that script in seven days. Um, so, yeah, it's always good to not fall into that sense of um, security, thinking the more days you have, the more time you have. You still will get that time push because no producer is going to give you five days if they don't believe that film actually needs, you know, five days. Um, so what you can do is yeah, prep with your director to ensure that you actually need every single scene that that you're shooting. Because sometimes you get to the edit and it's so painful that you've shot all these scenes and all these coverages and you get to, the, get to the edit and the whole scene has to be lost. And that's because, yeah, when it was written, we just thought, okay, here's a shooting script. 
we need to shoot everything and then we'll work it out in the edit. And then you find out, you know, that scene actually doesn't really push the the story forward. Yeah. So what you want to try and do is understand what's needed for the film, also what the pacing of the film is. Um, because sometimes the fast-paced film might mean you need more coverage. A slow-paced film might mean let's just have two shots per scene because you know these are going to be really long pregnant scenes. So let's just make sure we don't make the edit so choppy. Also, as a DP, what you want to try and do, I know it's quite cliche to say you like the space and don't like the, the face because um, there's that temptation that, um, okay, cool, we shoot in that medium shots. Okay, let's bring in all the lights and shoot it. What you want to try and do is pump lights into the space, kind of, you know, your room now and how does light fall in the room? It falls a certain way. Try and reenact that with your artificial light sitting outside and then use a camera to find the best angle that serves the light, as opposed to forcing your lights to work for every angle you have. And I think working in that way, we enable to work super fast as a, as a, as a DP. So yeah, try and light the space. And what I mean by that is, you know, you go on your recce, you go, oh, I like the way light falls in, in this room. Okay, let's try and reenact that and have continuity so that, you know, across a five-hour period, you know, that light is continuous. And then, yeah, find the angles that give you the best light within the scene. The more time you can give to the actor and the more time you can give to the director and the quicker you would get that scene done. So, yeah, when you see a time allocated, it's not just about camera. It's not just about, you know, the set design is actually about performance. So what you can do as a DP is, you know, set the film up for success by giving as much time to the director and as much time to, um, to the performance. In terms of advice I have for young cinematographers, you you have to shoot. Just um, don't wait until the short film to, you know, flex that muscle. You don't wait until the tournament day to start running, right? Like you need to train. And what I mean by training is, is not just like stretching your house or, you know, reading books about running. You need to get on that track and run, run with colleagues, run with friends so that on the on the tournament day it, you're used to it and what i mean by that is take a camera and in your own house shoot a story self-shoot yourself if you have a flatmate um shoot them and it's also very important to understand editing um i think having made my own shorts um kind of directed short edited collaborated sound design really helps you appreciate all aspects of filmmaking and makes you more of an asset to a director so you don't need to wait until like your fourth short film where you know you shot it you've seen the edit with director and then you learn that lesson like if you've gone and out and made your own short film and when i mean by your own short film it doesn't have to cost you money you just get a friend to walk down like a path you shoot them get them to say a few words and just put them in your on your computer and just cut it and see how it feels. And that's how you find the rhythm and the tempo again. And that's how you become an asset to, to, to the production. So yeah, you have to play to become a master of your craft. Don't wait until game day to, you know, flex those muscles because um, they're going to be cold. I think for us in terms of prepping a short film, to begin with, it's kind of for us, it's like discussing the emotion of the story and the feel of the film. 
And then when we've kind of nailed down the type of film we want to make, we start talking about visual language, you know, gathering references, making some mood boards maybe. And then the visual language kind of comes organically from the conversations we have and continue to have throughout the film. I think initially for prep, of course, like it starts with the script and I take that away on my own and read it. And then we come together and chat. And that initial conversation I think is so important, like, just talking about the story and usually that ends up going deeper and like where it comes from and like that's what I love about working with Jimmy is he's super open but often there'll be like little things he says or something that we both thought of while we were chatting and I'll write those things down and usually I keep them in like a note so that like far later when we're talking about technical stuff even or the way the film looks I can go back and be like, oh, he said, like, this is a romantic scene or um, this is like a really hazy moment. Like those things might not be literal, but they help in some way. But I mean, I feel like Jimmy and I just kind of embrace the emotional side far more to begin with than the technical. The voices you're hearing now belong to writer-director Jimmy Dean and cinematographer Anna McDonald. They've previously worked together on the BFI Network back short film V and have just finished principal photography on their second short film collaboration, Susie, which was shot in and around Ipswich. Here they discuss their working relationship, the importance of recce's, and giving themselves the space to play and explore while also sticking to the schedule and the budget. With us, or the way I, I work and then finally extension, the way Anna and I work together, we're both people who need to like be in a space to understand it and feel a scene. So recce's are really important for us to get inside like our location and our space and start to work it out. I'm not really someone who storyboards much. It's very much like we take those conversations and we talk about that feeling and then it's just translating it. So yeah, we, we get in a location, we look around, we start to work out where our camera's going to go. Uh, I think that's more our starting point still, even before shot listing or, you know, all these things, it's about getting inside a space and, and working out from there. Yeah, I, I definitely think there are factors that push you a certain format or a certain camera body even. But I think when you're working in a low budget space, like we had hopes and dreams from the get go, um, when like our initial conversation and you hold on to those, but you do have to be flexible when you know the budget is like two peanuts. So then it kind of felt like choosing like a film stock, you choose something that's going to provide an image that you can work with and then it's up to like figuring out the lenses on the recce for example so I think a lot of people use Artemis which is super helpful but the house I'd seen photos of it and then we went to it it felt a lot smaller so having something like Artemis even though the lenses don't quite match up then tells you like okay you know our wides are in this space and does that lens feel right for us and it's like you kind of have limitations then because you're not doing a set build so like I kind of knew the edges basically like this is the widest we could get this is the tightest well you know it could be forever but but in that sense the recce is really more about understanding the blocking in the space like even then it's very like it's not super technical because you know you shoot scenes in houses all the time and you kind of know rough sizes but I think uh, it does like these are things that you know you take the time to do Sunseeker for example and you always take the time to look at how wide you could get that's potentially not fisheye, basically. We just made a film, um, a short film, that was predominantly set in one house, um, which is something that I'd not done before. So part of that, recce and part of the whole film was how do we keep this house visually interesting? How do we keep our audience like visually engaged in this space? 
yeah, it was really good just to get inside and start figuring out what parts of the house we can use, like what frames look nice. And then from there, we came away with very much like a visual storyboard of what our film was probably going to look like. Because uh, the challenge with the film we just shot was that it was going to be each scene was going to be one take from a locked off camera, because that's something in the prep we just both got quite excited about. It's like something I pitched to Anna really early on. And then I was like, it's, I'm never like, we need to do it like this. It was like, I, I keep thinking about this for this film. What do you think? And then when Anna gets excited about something, I get really excited about something. For me, it's a balance that leads more, like leans more towards giving yourself space to explore and play. Like there are so many amazing filmmakers who go in with the storyboard and a clear idea of what they want. I'm just not really one of them. I like the organic part of like playing and um, exploring. So it's really important to me that we give ourselves that space because actors... And like my favorite process of the whole thing is working with actors and you want to give them the space to explore a scene and do something new or excite you or do something you never expected. And I think one of my favorite things about working with Anna is she's also excited about that. So when an actor does something really unexpected or amazing or something you just love, we adapt around them. The most exciting way to find a scene is to allow people to play around. It's great that the crew, Anna and everyone else, is able to adapt around that. Yeah, I think if you went into a shoot day being like... I know exactly how this day is going to go and it has to go this way. Like you would miss so much of the magic. Like I think most of us do film because you, it's like this insane collaboration that kind of feels like a whirlwind. And I think even on the film we just did that we committed to a single frame for each scene, even then it was like, we knew, um, you know, we had to do seven scenes in a house and we were like, with the budget, we're going to have to do all in one day. We did know some spaces where we were like, we're going to have to kind of like marinate on this scene because the blocking, it needs to grow on the day and we need to work with Helen. And whereas other scenes were like, this is how it is in our head. And it feels like it couldn't really go too far either way. I mean, you know, it could and we would change. But I think in a way, it's like more relaxing to go into a day like that because that's like, I feel like where both of us sort of like, come alive is when you're kind of up against time or whatever and you got to make a decision if you've had all those amazing story chats in the beginning and gone through the emotions like those decisions are easy like they tell you if they're right or wrong so I think yeah both Jimmy and I would say we're in the more jazz space of filmmaking rather than like a very prescriptive science I would quickly look back to like when with with the film we just shot as Anna just said, we knew there was a few scenes we hadn't fully figured out that we just needed to feel on the day. And in that, that was kind of factored into the schedule of like telling our first AD, who was amazing, just like, we haven't fully figured this out yet. We'll need like an extra 10, 15 minutes just to feel it through. In terms of scheduling and getting it all done, from my perspective, it's you throw all trust over to camera and the other departments of how long they practically need. And then for me, my only my big contribution to that is just the performance stuff. So for sensitive scenes, I push for a longer amount of time, knowing that we won't do as many takes, but we might need a lot of prep for it. So there's a really emotional scene in this that was factored in. It's just like, we need time to help the actors get there. Luckily, working with amazing actors means that scheduling becomes easier. But I, yeah, I'd throw over Tanner on that one. Of, I don't know how she gets all the time. We asked her to do unbelievable things on this film to get set up in that house. And it weirdly somehow went on time. I mean, I think a really straightforward answer to like, how do you schedule or stay on schedule or know how to allocate time is that you have to. So you make it work. You know, the script was very short in a way. I think it was like five pages in the end, but it was a long 
five pages. So um, you know there's lingering and there's the use of space and use of scenes has its own pacing. I guess, A, we were kind of, we had a time of day we were working towards. I, I really like to be involved in the schedule. And I think I can't imagine not being involved in the schedule. You know, in some jobs you do in commercial, like people just ask you really straightforward questions and then you go into it. But I think on a short, you really do need to be super involved. Like we had a desk moment and as you know, in the UK, like dust can mean different things on different days, different weather. And so like there's a barrier there. So you kind of work backwards to the point you want to get to. But also you kind of put your eggs in certain baskets. Is what I said to Jimmy earlier about where you can see yourself maybe being a bit quicker. And so then you kind of buy that time and use it later. But I think it also comes down to like knowing all the pieces you need to fit in a puzzle, knowing the time frame you've got. Um, in the proper working hours, like when night starts, if there's a scene up two flights of stairs, allocating that time for your crew to do it safely. And then in the end, like there's moments like with this dust scene, we're shooting uh, our actor. She was looking out a window and we were shooting her from outside. And we really wanted it to be like dusk, dusk. And we shot something and there was like a crazy cloud that went over her face and everyone got super excited. And there was a ne the next scene was a really, really important emotional scene. And we knew we needed to like really buffer that for Jimmy and the actor. And we had some like kind of uh, active lights that were moving in this one -er, and we knew we wanted to rehearse that. But then we were like, oh, but like it's going to get better outside. And it's kind of like, OK, we're really happy with that shot. It's like, do you want to risk potentially staying outside and then like pushing ourselves to kind of taking Jimmy's time and this really emotional time. And in the end, we obviously went with like, give Jimmy the time <laughs> because that's why you're making a film and Helen the time. So I think uh, you're constantly kind of like readdressing the day and how you can win back time and, and where you need to be like, you know what, like we're never going to be here again. We need to do another take, even when everyone is screaming, which never happened on the shoot, but it does happen. In the next segment, Jimmy and Anna talk about how they communicate on set and why Jimmy invites notes from his key creatives and crew. We've got this kind of family that we've been developing since our first film. And it feels, I feel really lucky to be a part of it. But the triangle that is me, Jimmy and Greg Bradlaugh, the production designer, um, is something that I love a lot. And like, there's two examples of, I guess, how it works. But you know, we're all very involved in like how the scene feels like beyond our own role. And what I really love about working with Jimmy is like when, watching him do the blocking rehearsal is like quite magical. But then when the camera cuts, like everyone's silent so that Jimmy can speak to them and keep what's in his head. But he, you know, I don't need to like go up to Jimmy and be like, oh, this or this, or like this didn't work or whatever I might think. Like, he always comes up and goes like, how is that for you? And then we discuss like, yeah, if there's anything that we feel doesn't work. I just feel like, yeah, the worst thing you could do to a director is like everyone go like this, like, oh, like everyone says their notes before like they get to just actors. But I think in terms of communication, Jimmy's just very good about like honoring each person's space, I guess, and what they're trying to achieve. I mean, I would say it's it more instinctive just because I'm kind of in awe of everyone I work with. Like what Anna said about it being a little family is really important to me. Uh, I want everyone to feel like really attached to the film we're making. And, and, and mostly I just really want it to be fun. And I just really value everyone's opinion on set. Like everyone's so good at their jobs. Why wouldn't I want to open that up and take stock of what everyone has to say and feed it into the film? We get this kind of like myth of the auteur or like auteurs are totally a thing that's great. I think collaboration is the most exciting thing for me. So I love that people can put their own 
heart and soul into the film. And I hope that anytime one of our crew members watches one of our films, they can like identify a piece of themselves in it. But as Anna was saying, the, the, the triangle of me, Anna and, and Greg was really important on this. And again, I think I said a lot, but like, I just trust my crew completely. So if they, when I ask them, how was that for you? I like, I really want to know because I can take that note on board and either implement it, try it. Or if I disagree with it, it's still good to know because you back your own conviction, I guess. When you have full trust in the people around you, you as a director relax more on set and actors can be your first thought, which I think they always should be. And the story is your first thought, which it should be. So you're surrounded by people who you trust to do their own departments, make it all work. And then when you check with them how it felt for them, you know, you implement that as well. Now you're going to hear Jimmy and Anna as they break down a car scene from their latest short film, Susie, and how they planned to shoot it, but then trusted their instincts on the day to get what they really needed. And why working with people you trust and like is integral to negotiating those more pressurised moments during a shoot. In the script that we just filmed, yeah, it's, okay, so seven scenes that take place in a house, one scene that takes place in a car, and one scene that takes place in a new flat. And I think, yeah, it got to the point where once you sort of like interrogate the script, I, in my head, I was like, I kind of need to really interrogate like what we're looking for in the car scene. And so I made a document that I think I called like car marination or something. And it was just like a series of images of people in car in the backseat of a car. And I felt like sometimes I feel like references are not um, from other films they're other things or I just don't go to references but for this I felt like I needed to so I shared it with Jimmy and then that was really exciting because then I guess we kind of realized like we hadn't really talked about the car beyond where they're sitting and so it's two characters and it's like the second to last scene and so that's where yeah it kind of we started to realize it was more than just like interior car they drive if that makes sense and then I guess getting into the practicality, we got uh, an incredible grip to come out for us, work Drucker. We felt like so lucky to get on this, but because everything needed to be um, super stable, like dead static, like he came and took our gaffer, Greg Probert's uh, passenger side car seat out for <laughs> the shot. But essentially like, we knew the scene, but when we got there on the day, we kind of had to challenge how we wanted to shoot it. With this car scene, it had been left towards the end of our discussion. And then when Anna sent me that document, it changed my boring idea to much more exciting frames. And we got really, really excited about that. And when we got the camera up, we, we found something that was just on one of the characters instead of two. So it originally started out in our heads of the two shop. We found something on one, which was just really exciting. And, and we did it. And then when we first went for this drive, we were trying to use available light and the light just didn't hit <laughs> at all um, how we wanted it to. Just a side note, though, we did <laughs> we did two things. We did recce the route, and that was more for like what's in the background. Does it feel like Ipswich kind of vibe? And then part two is Greg Probert, uh, my gaffer, and I are part of our approach for every scene was basically starting from scratch. So like removing all the mobile light and then building up because it's something like I wanted to try on this. And often I use a lot of available light in most shoots. So essentially we didn't do any lighting in the car and like took a trip, uh, which was terrifying. Yeah. And it, like it didn't hit. <laughs> then we got lost on the route um, and it was all very stressful. But then we went back, Hannah and, and Greg lit it beautifully. And we went around again um, on this on this single frame and Helen, Helen Bean's performance in it was just, un, just uh, unbelievable. It's like this, this magic moment where like the lights were just hitting as she was she was doing her thing. And it would have been really easy just to be like tick done 
because we were in a rush where we needed to get another shot after. And it was the first time in the whole shoot we were in a rush where people were trying to get us to keep going. So we got this really beautiful performance and this really beautiful tape we're really happy with. Anna and I just had this moment of linking back to what's the story and are we missing seeing these these two characters, this mother and son, together in this moment. And we, we tried to earlier frame up this two shot. We, we didn't like it, but we were like, we owe it to ourselves to, to try one more time. And, and everyone's telling us to move on, but we get it back. We, we work the blocking, Anna moves the camera, it still doesn't look good. And it's just one of those magical things where eventually we move the blocking enough that we get these two people together. We find the perfect frame, we go back on our route, and we've got the take that I feel like absolutely has to be in the film. And it now seems insane to me that we nearly did anything but that. But it was the process of getting there and the process of getting excited by Helen's performance, um, of getting excited by Charlie, a young actor's performance. And it was just so many things that took us from an original idea that would not have looked good into something that I'm now really proud of. I only want to work with people that I love, which is really naive, but it, it helps because one, all those people want the same thing. So everyone wants to tell the story. So we were in that car and it was me, Greg, Anna, and we also had our script supervisor, Alice, and our first AD, Chris. And I know Chris would want us to move on, but he totally understood because everyone in that car went, we have to do it. We have to try it. And it also just allows, when you work with people you love, and, and we've only worked, in, Anna and I have only worked together twice. <laughs> it's weird because it feels like much, much longer. Mm. But you have this shorthand with people you love where you can just be honest and get to it. There's no like having to work around people or games. You just be like, we have to do it. And if, if any one of us in that car says, you have to go again, we have to try this. Like we all, we respect that because no, we don't say it often, if that makes sense. So when you build that level of trust that Anna's like, we absolutely have to try this thing. Or even if Greg, um, our production designer, is like, you have to try the two shot. I know that is traditionally not something that you'd refer over to him. But when you trust someone, you're just like, you're so right, we have to do it. As a DP, it's really important that you see moments where your director is getting pushed and you also recognize when they're not totally happy with something. And I feel like it's different with every director and some some directors might like never have those moments and some directors will have them all the time. And yeah, I guess it just depends on the person. But like, I feel like when I have a close relationship, there's always moments where you're like, everyone's like, hey, we need to move on. This was your last take. And the director's like, okay. And then you can kind of see them like go inside themselves. And I think that it's a DP's job really to kind of be the person it's like stop for two seconds and like are you happy or you're not happy and sometimes it's like yeah I'm happy I was just thinking about the next scene and that's cool and sometimes it's like they're something's telling them that they didn't get the exact thing and I think you're really lucky if you have those moments because I as a DP will have them all the time after the fact like oh why didn't I do this but I think that staying like in tune is so important and like the car scene we definitely had that moment. Finally Anna and Jimmy offer their advice for filmmakers embarking on their short films. Short films are a crazy beast. And when I first started doing them, I was like, just be really open. And I think this is advice from other people. It's like, don't close off your opportunities. You know, you might be like, oh, I don't know if I, this film is stylistically like a film I like to watch. But um, I was very open. And I think that was really good for me. But then I think in being open, you also need to recognize how, how you kind of see yourself in a film. Like, I think the way I look at stuff now is if I get sent a script and I don't feel like a little flame, then I now I'm learning to sort of trust that intuition. And it doesn't necessarily mean like it's not a good film or, or whatever, or it might be an amazing film, but I'm like, oh, I don't see how I can 
how I can kind of approach it in my own way. So then I'm like, someone else would be way better to shoot this. But I think it's sort of like now when I read a script, I kind of look for that flame or that connection. But like sort of on that note as well, when people write me about shorts, they'll often send me a script and a treatment. And for me, I would just say like, always, always read the script first. Like I will not open that treatment until I've read the script a couple of times at least. And I also don't look up um, the director, like look at the other films yet. Like I just look at the script itself and then have some thoughts. And then once you kind of like have an image in your head or have seen the film, and that's another thing, like if I haven't been able to watch the film in my head, that usually means like, I can't see myself shooting it then I'll like kind of tackle the their visuals and then if there's something interesting I'm like oh wow I didn't think of that but that seems really cool then I'll go in for a meeting but I think that's something that kind of took me a while to learn if that makes any sense at all <laughs> but um and I would say even if it's like sometimes a script that's quite like scares me for whatever reason or it feels like a huge challenge and that's something to always at least go for the interview for and like chat to the director um and I also think in that meeting with the director there's a few things like it's hard to describe, but I think that there needs to be a certain vibe. Sometimes it may be an amazing script and the filmmakers done loads of like incredible work, but you kind of feel like there's a distance. And I feel like they're kind of not as open as I maybe need to feel comfortable. Then I, it's like recognizing that as well. Like I think for me, yeah, for instance, if I had a thought on the script, I was like, oh, I like this. Like I ask a bunch of questions and they don't want to engage. Then like for me, that's like, okay, this probably... I'm not probably the best suited for you because that's not how I work. There's a couple of things that I would suggest to people making their first like publicly funded short. The first of which is I do think your focus should be the actors and the story. And I think if you put the time in to build a team that you trust and love, then they'll allow you to do your best job. I genuinely just think that's so important. And just based off that, I know when I used to listen to like podcasts like this or listen to any filmmaker, a lot of the time they sound like they have it so together or they present themselves as if they know everything. And I would just say like, again, if you have a team you trust, then it allows you to ask and don't be afraid to ask stupid questions. On our first collaboration with Anna, I've got really confused about lenses and shot sizes. And I remember just having to be like, I'm really sorry, can you just tell me what, what you're on about? Cinematography for dummies, help me learn. And I think a lot of people that overcompensate for not knowing and they try to come up with all the right answers. But if you've got your team, you can open up to them. They can help you. Uh, yeah, they, they can help you through it. And I think just to follow on from that, especially because it's shorts, shorts only have the potential to change the career trajectory of like a, a very few people. So I think just bear in mind to be so thankful for everyone who helped you out on it and um, so thankful for their collaboration. Everyone on set is essentially there for you and helping you realize something. And I think it's just one of the most valuable things you can do is make them feel valuable and part of it. Because um, I guarantee it will make your film better and everyone will have more fun working on it. Thank you for listening to Shorthand. Look out for a new episode next week that will focus on directing actors and how to elicit brilliant performances from them. Thank you to our guests this week, Evelyn Van Ray, Olang Holladi, Anna McDonald and Jimmy Dean. Shorthand is a BFI Network and Film Hub Southeast podcast produced by Nicole Davis with support from the BFI Network and ICO team. Special thanks to our editor Graciela Mechico and Epidemic for the music. <laughs>